Tonight, if you've got your Bible, if you would, turn over to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We're going to start out by reading the first eight verses. And we're going to look at this title tonight, What is Your Relationship with Christ Based On? What is your relationship, your relationship with God, with Christ, based on? And we're going to look at a few things tonight that it's not based on, and then we're going to look at what it really is. We're going to look at Philippians 3. If you've got the, the word there this, this evening, stand for the reading of the word. First eight verses, and we'll read a few more later. But it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he might whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Amen. What is your relationship with Christ based upon? Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you, Lord, that the relationship that we can have with you, God, is more dependent of God on how much... Lord, we'll let you love us because, God, you're there. You make yourself available. You love us. You pour yourself out. You've given yourself. Lord, you want to do great and mighty things in our life. God, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds and that, God, we see that there is a greater relationship than we've ever dreamed of having made available to us, that we would get a love for you the way Paul does here. And, God, we'd surrender our all to you and find the joy that passes all understanding. Oh, God, thank you for your mighty power. Move and anoint tonight. You anoint and speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to look at what is your relationship with Jesus Christ based upon. Paul was dealing with, as he did so many times, anytime you're trying to do something for God, and you all may have found this out already, but when you try to do anything for God, you start making a move forward. God's kind of put a call on you. And you think the whole world's just going to accept it and be excited about it. You'll find out that the enemy will throw some opposition right in your face. He's going to try to stop you from accomplishing what God's trying to do. And Paul's life was no different. He's facing these Philippian Christians are his heart. He loves them so much. And he's invested so much in them. And yet there's a group of uh, Judaizers that's come in and they're trying to pull them away. They're trying to... Uh, pervert the teaching that Paul has given them and get them to trust in their own. These men comes in and they're, they're, they're able to speak with eloquent words and, they're, and they're, they've got pedigrees as long as your arm and they come in and they sound good and they look good and they start talking like they've got, they're a big authority and these people are impressed with what they're hearing but what these people are doing is they're bragging about their own flesh. They're bragging about what they've accomplished. Now, Paul understands this because if you know Paul, before he got saved, he had the same problem. Paul was a man that was a, a uh, as far as he was concerned, a godly man, and he did everything that he was supposed to do, and he had probably a lot of pride in the fact that when he looked at other people, he thought, you don't live as close as I do. That's right. 
I do everything right, and look at you. And that's the way some of the Pharisees were, many of them, if not most of them, were. And so he's dealing with this group that's trying to lead the, the church away from the things of Christ and get them to trust in their own flesh. And Paul is trying to encourage them to say, this is the absolute opposite of what you need to be doing. So he comes to them in this chapter, and he's telling them in the uh, first two verses, telling them that, in verse 2, beware of dogs. These people that's coming in, trying that says, beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of the concision. What's he saying there is that word concision is talking about mutilators. And what he's talking about, these people is coming into the church, and they're saying, your relationship with God should be based on an outward physical uh, uh, covenant that you've got in your body, and that's, that's what God wants. And Paul's getting ready to say, no, 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 no. This is the new covenant. When Christ came and he died for our sins, the relationship with God is not some outward sign like that Pharisee who beat on his chest and looked at the publican who was falling on his face and saying, thank God I'm not like this man. He was looking at an outward appearance and he wanted everybody to see how good and holy he was. But next to him was a man who had it right and he was falling on his face and saying, God, I'm nothing. I look at what I do and it's nothing. I'm not worthy of you. And the only reason I'll be able to lift my head up is if you have mercy and lift me up. And so that's what God wants to see. So Paul is trying to encourage us, don't put confidence in that flesh like these men are trying to do and tell you. We see that it, it says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. He's talking about that covenant He's that, that, that God gave Abraham to where he said, my people will be set apart and this will be a sign. And he gave them this sign that they would perform this task. And it was a sign, an outward sign. But when Christ came, no longer are we trying to be good enough. But when Christ came, he paid your sin debt. And when you put your faith and confidence in him, it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. So he's saying to you, listen, folks, don't watch what they're telling you to do. You and I are the circumcision. We're the ones who truly serve God. And he's going to give you three things that says this is what, this is what God really wants. Now, this is important because he says we are the ones that truly are serving God, which worship God in the spirit. What he's saying there is God is looking for someone and a people who worship him from the soul, the spirit of God that he's placed within us. And that spirit is reaching out to God. That's why when we, when we get filled with the spirit and we're speaking in other tongues, that is God's spirit within us talking to God through us, what our greatest needs are. It's God talking to God. And, and so what he's saying here is what God's looking for is not someone who has an outward sign that everyone thinks they're something, but what God's looking for is people who have surrendered their life and so full of God's presence that within us, within our spirit, God's presence is within us and we are worshiping Him, as Scripture says, in spirit and in truth. It's not something we put on. It's not something we work up. It's something we get in His presence. Like I was telling you in the dark this morning, big tears come down my face in the dark. Well, that didn't nobody, I didn't work it up because nobody could see me but one person, God. And it was because of that God's Spirit causes you, it changes you. And so He says, that's what He wants. I want someone who worships me in spirit. And number two, not only that, here's another sign that you're really, you're serving God with the right relationship. It rejoices in Christ Jesus. What it's saying here is, we're not like these that they're teaching you. We're not rejoicing in our accomplishments, but our rejoicing, our glory is, look at who our Savior is. And we're sitting here saying, thank God that He 
gave us a good report this week that God, He's healed bodies, that He's doing some mighty things. Our glory doesn't come from us. We're not pointing at us, but we point at Jesus Christ. And so that's another sign that, we're, that your relationship is right. And then finally it says, and have no confidence in the flesh. Well, how many can agree and say amen on that? You can't trust this flesh. Sometimes we think we can. Some of my biggest mistakes was when I'd messed up on that when I thought I could trust the flesh more than I could. I thought, well, surely I can do that. Well, no, I couldn't. I fell right on my face. Let me tell you something. David fell on his face and trusted the flesh when he stayed and didn't go to battle and got on, the, on top of the big building looking down and seen somebody he shouldn't have been looking at. He, was in the, he should have been doing what he's supposed to do. He didn't. Amen. Throughout Scripture, over and over again, big mistakes was made when people weren't doing what they told God told them to do. So he's saying there, that's the, the covenant that I'm looking for. It's not something on the outside. It's not putting on a front. It's not wearing a cross around your neck. It's not having the bumper sticker on your car. It's a heart relationship. It's something that's real. It's something that your life is changed. And therefore, the way you react to God and the way you look at yourself is totally different. And so Paul is telling them, encouraging them. We see this, that this is what God's looking for. Listen, look at this verse. Now, this, there's part of this. I love this verse. Now, there's a message maybe I'll work up in the future because there's a couple more that kind of goes with this. But John 4, 23. Scripture tells us sometimes what God's looking for. It says in uh, that verse, it says, but, and this is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. So this is the Lord himself, so he knows what he's talking about. It says, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. This is the part that's amazing. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. You mean God is looking out on you and me and he's looking for someone who really loves him and worships him. And their spirit is so connected with God that they're looking up and there may be tears coming down their face because they're like, God, you, you're everything. If you didn't help me, you know, I was, when I was walking this morning, I can't, there's, I can't tell you this part, but I was thinking about something that's in my life going on right now in my life. There's a thing that's going on and there's and something, and there is isn't even a particular situation. And then I realized that this situation took several years to fall into place. And then I'm thinking, well, Lord, you had to... And, and I realized, well, Lord, this is a strength that I'm getting right now when I need it. And you started this years ago because you knew exactly when I was going to need it. Right. And so th- one of the reasons I was, was so tearful and crying and worshiping God is like, God, you love me that far that even years before I know I got a problem, you're already working oh, to yeah. bring me help and relief. And so God is faithful to do that. And so we see here that this verse is saying he's searching for people who truly love him and worship him. And so, man, if that's what God wants, we need to give him that. That's what he desires from us. Verse 4 goes on and says, Though though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Paul's saying, do not fall in the trap that these men that just trying to mislead you are trying to lead you. Don't do it. Don't look at your pedigree. Don't look at who you are because if anybody, he says, before you say, but Paul, you don't know who I am. You don't know what all I've got going for me. Yeah, you, this is probably true for most people, but you don't know who I am, Paul. Boy, I, yeah, I got a lot to be all, all excited about. And that, yeah, God, I'm a pretty blessed person and, and God's pretty lucky to have me. <laughs> There's people that feel that way. You just watch them. God's pretty lucky to have me. I'm not, now, now, do not somebody cut that out and say, I just said that about me because I ain't. God's lucky. I'm lucky to have God even look at me. 
But God, but but we can't have any confidence in the flesh. And he's saying if anybody has reason to be confident, because you know why he says this? Because he used to have it. Paul's life before that road to Damascus, the reason he's on the road to Damascus is because he had complete confidence in his flesh and he was doing everything in his own mind and power and he was, he was making huge mistakes and he was moving 180 degrees away from what God wanted. And thank God for his mercy that he met him and struck him down on the road to Damascus. And God will do that. And so he gives him reasons. You know, the, here's, here's a reason. Here's one thing that, that it's not based on uh, your relationship and God shouldn't be based on. Number one, it's not based on who you are. He's getting ready to tell you that. It's not based on who you are. Thank God it's not based on who you are. It's because he says here on verse 5, these first four, he's going to give you eight things. The first four is things he had no control of. He had no control of the first four things. This was just through his natural birth. And he, was, and he could have bragged and said, look at who I am just from my birth. He goes in the first five and it says, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. What he's saying is, I was born in one of the best tribes. I was born a Jew to two Hebrew Jewish parents. And we followed the rituals of the law to the perfect, down to the perfect point. And I was circumcised on the eighth day. Look at who I was. Now, when I look at that, you know, sometimes we can say that even in our own lives. You know, honestly, I can, and I think some of you can. I was thinking as I was praying about this, I was thinking, Lord, how many times have you, if you all ever, hopefully you've done this at some point in your life. There's a whole lot of a young generation that doesn't do this. But how many times have you said, thank God I was born in America? Thank God that I was born where I was born. You see, we're born in a nation that the rest of the world, if you get to know, I've got, I've got some, uh, a young man that's pretty close to me that was born in another country, and, and he tells me the other side of the story. Or even if you go in another country, you'll find out that people long to be who you are. They long to have been born here and to have the freedom that you have. Now, we've got a whole generation that's willing just to walk away and hand it away and give it up. Don't appreciate it. Hate it. Mock it. And they don't realize what they're doing. They really don't. But we live in a wondrous nation, and boy, are we blessed that we were born where we were. But that's not, that doesn't mean anything to God. That doesn't mean that we're special to God because of where we were born. But it's a wondrous blessing. I was thinking I was born in, in, in America. I was born in a, a great state. I was born in a Christian home. I was born in a pastor's home. I was born in a family that sent me to a Christian school. And, and I mean, just, it just said, well, Lord, you had a, boy, you had a lot of mercy on me. But does that, think, does that mean that God loves me more than he does anybody else? No. It's just, that, that's just, just more reason uh, uh, that I need to be thankful for. But Paul's saying here, I, I could sit there and say, look at the world where I was born. But that's good. God is not worried about who you are. Another thing is, not only is our relationship not based on who we are, it's not based on what you are. It says the next four things is talking about things he accomplished. What you accomplish in your life does not impress God. It, it, we don't need to let that be the relationship that we have with God and what we accomplish for Him. It goes on and says it's touching the law. I was a Pharisee. Yes. The best way to describe a Pharisee is that they were the elite team. They are the special yes. forces of the military. They aren't just the, they aren't just the Marines. They're special forces. They are the, they are, he, was a, uh, he was a who's who of religious leaders. He was in the elite team, the ones that gave up everything. In fact, they made more rules than God had made to add to God's law. And before it was done, nobody could keep it but them. And they probably weren't keeping it when nobody wouldn't look in, but everybody else thought they were keeping it so that they could get in front of other people and say, you are unholy. You ought to be like me. 
And so that's what he's saying is that as far as what I had accomplished, God's not impressed. God's relationship with me is not based on, on, on uh, who I am, and it's not based on what I am or what I've accomplished. These things he found out that was part something that was trouble for him. We're going to also see that it's not based on where you are. It's not based on where you are in your relationship with God. Listen, there was, this is something that is so, it, it tripped me up, and I've told you this before. Don't, don't fall down in this path. I, I, sometimes I got to where I felt like that God's love for me was based on, on where I was in my spiritual work and walk. And so if I was living a really good and, and I was not making any mistakes, then I thought God's looking down saying, boy, you're doing great and I'm so proud and love you so much. And the first time I'd mess up, I looked up and inside of me, the devil was saying, now God's looking at you with a frown. In fact, he... He's, he's down on you. He don't love you anymore. That's not it. For, but we can see that the love of Christ, that when we were sinners, yet Christ died for us. God's love for you is not based on whether you've ever made a mistake. God's love for you is based on a relationship, but it's not on what, how, where you're at. You, you don't have to impress God for Him to love you. But Paul, what we're going to find out, that Paul had a love affair with God. He, he used to be so into what he had accomplished and who he was and where he was going and, and the name that he was building for himself. And all these religious leaders said, boy, you, that's an upcoming, that guy right there is going to be at the top of the religious world. And so he was trying to impress them all. And that's his whole life. But when he met Christ that day on that road to Damascus, everything changed. Everything changed. We find that his heart changed when he said in verse 8, it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, not just the religious things that I, I used to put my confidence and faith in, all these things that I was doing. And I, and I thought that was made me something powerful and big, but they're nothing. And it goes on to say, Yea, doubtless, I count all things, everything. There's nothing in my life that's worthy of anything. It's a loss. That word, uh, a loss there, is the, actually the word it caused damage. It's saying that all these things that I used to put my confidence in, all these things that I used to feel like I was doing great and God was so proud of me, I look at them and it actually was causing me damage. I lay it all down at Jesus' feet because I found something greater. And what was it? What was it? it says that but lost for the excellency, the, the incredible greatness of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That word knowledge is not just a word just to know something or hear something to hear information. It is talking about a relation, getting to actually intimately know Jesus Christ. He is saying that now that I've got to know who Jesus Christ is and how much he loves me and how much he's changed my life, that I look at everything else in my life as nothing but a waste. I lay it all down so that I can know him even more. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Human excrement that I may win Christ. He's saying I empty everything out so that there's more room for him to come in. I give him everything. He, become, he is in love with Jesus Christ. You ever had a, you ever had a friend? I, my, my best friend. When I was dating my wife before we got married, he used to, oh, I used to drive him crazy because we used to do all these things. We used to run around and, and we had big times and big plans and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, when Marie got in the picture, 
he kind of got shoved off to the side. <laughs> and it made, and what was the deal? It wasn't because somebody demanded it. It's, I, you, want, you love somebody, you want to give them more and more and more and more of your time. Yeah. To where they've got it all. Where it's over with. they got it all. And so, in our, and so hopefully that's what you found. Hopefully you all can relate to that. If not, we need to have some marriage counseling. But that's what we find in a relationship with Christ. And the, the thing is, you're never going to have a relationship with Christ where you love him more than he, than he loves you. You're never going to do that. You'll never find a time that you give God more love than he ever gives. His love is just waiting to pour out on you. And the problem is most of the time we don't even have time for him. We put him at the end. And I, I can't say that I've not fallen into that pit. You put God down the road. And God's been waiting all day to pour his love out on you. I mean, if you'll see, if you'll, if he'll come to you in the middle of the dark in, the, in a park, he, he's, he's waiting. Why was it? He's ready to go. He's ready to go. You wake up tonight in the middle of the night, just talk to him. Just, yeah, just reach out and see him. You'll find he's just, he's right there. He's, he's just a hand. That's what I was talking about earlier. I don't think you heard me. You was talking. All right. So we see here that this, this relationship is, is like the parable of giving up everything for more of Christ because you love him that much is like this parable that was, and I think Jesus gave this in Matthew chapter 13. He talks about two stories talking about giving up things for something that means more. It says in verse 44, it says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found it, he hideth. And for joy thereof, he goeth and selleth all that he hath, and he buyeth that field. Why is it? Because he's seen something that's buried in that field that's worth more than anything that he's ever had. Have you ever done that? Have you ever changed? All of a sudden you used to be, get, invest in all these things or all these things you were buying and all of a sudden your heart went a different direction. It's like, well, I'll throw every bit of that away. Man, this is so much better. And so you sell things just to pull everything together to get this one thing. It goes in verse 45, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who, when he hath found one pearl, of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What this was referring to is a relationship with God that is with the Lord that is so powerful that when you realize that you've been spending your life going left and right and trying to get, the, get people to recognize you and trying to get some name for yourself and all these things and accumulate all these things and at the end of every day you feel like you're empty, you feel like that, that you just wasted your time and then all of a sudden you get in the presence of God and He overwhelms you with His presence and joy fills your heart and you feel the contentment you've been looking for and then all of a sudden you realize all these other things is nothing. All these other things are just wasted time my real joy comes from serving God my real joy comes from giving up everything else and serving him so we see here in these verses that he's told us that your relationship with God is not based on who you are it's not based on what you are it's not based on where you are what's it based on it's based on whose you are it's based on whose you are in verse 9 it says and be found in him who Jesus Christ not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He's saying all these things that I used to say I was a righteous man because I'd done all these things. I don't put a bit of weight in that anymore. Because God is not looking at what I can do. God wants me to put my complete trust in Him and let Him do it all. Isn't that easier? Isn't that a blessed life? Isn't that a wondrous thing that God has done in our life? He says you don't have to do it. 
Just let me. Just put your faith in me and I'll take care of everything else. What a wonders whose you are. When you give your heart and life to them and your whole faith and confidence is in Him, it's not how good you are or where you are or what you are or who you are. It's whose you are because you're His. That's the main thing. And, it's his. and so when God looks down at you, He's not looking at, as, as Isaiah says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's just, it's just junk. It's filth. But when, we, when he looks at us as his children, his son's blood has covered us. And when he looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness. And now we, that, that's, that's the reason we can have faith standing before God. Is he don't see who we used to be. He sees his son through us. And it's something that he gives. It says it's the righteous faith through. Uh, it's through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of given of God by faith. Faith is an important word. That's where our strength comes from. That's where our help comes from. And when we stand before Him in the righteousness of His one and only Son, that's when we find strength. That's when we find His mercy. Verse 10 says that I may know Him. That word know there is that word of have a relationship with Him even deeper than before. And the power of His resurrection. It's talking about the resurrecting power that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that, that uh, dynamis, that, that b- book of Acts, it says, and you shall be endued with power from on high. It's that word. It's saying that I will know that power of God in my life that, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And that's the reason that we are different. That's the reason when you go down a sinner and you go down uh, 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 doomed and you go down with sin in your life and when God washes you white as snow and you come up and joy has filled your heart and there is a different spirit within you, that's the word he's talking about. He wants to know more and more of that miracle-working, resurrecting power that was in his Savior, Jesus Christ. And even the fellowship of his sufferings. Man, you've got to love somebody to say, Lord, I, I, want to even, I want to even experience what you said. Now, he knew when he got transformed and saved, when Ananias put his hands upon him, God revealed and spoke through Ananias and told him some of the things he was going to actually face. He knew he was going to suffer for his uh, profession of, of, the, of Christ. But he said, I'm willing to suffer. Even at the end of his life, when he said, the people would tell him Agabus or some of those and was saying, do you realize, that, and, and took his, t- his coat and ties his hands up and says, do you know when you get to Jerusalem, they're going to tie you up, they're going to throw you into prison. And he says, I know this, but let me go because that's what God wants me to do. I'm willing to do it and I'm willing to do more. Why? He loved God that much. Have you ever, have you ever uh, maybe uh, some of your family, maybe you've done some research. I, I used to do some genealogy stuff. Or even maybe some of your, even your closer that, some of your parents or grandparents, some of the things that maybe they did in their life and maybe you go somewhere where they were and you heard a story or you knew about some of the things they did and you get where they were and you maybe even, I used to go to do you know, some of this research and you would go to some, maybe cemeteries or you'd go to battlefields or you would go to different places and sometimes you just get there and it's almost like you can just, you can just kind of feel closer to that person just because you're thinking of them and you've researched them and you get where they were. I was thinking how awesome it would be to, you know, someday, I've always thought I would go, to go like to go to Israel and actually see that place where supposedly his body lay. Or stand over here and see that this is where Jesus taught the people uh, from the boat. 
or go into the place that's supposedly the upper room, or go with a place where he supposedly his body was laid, or all these places, or look over that uh, Sea of Galilee and see the place where Jesus walked in the water and where all these things at, and actually get to those places. And I know you would feel a closer, you know, you feel like, Lord, he, you were right here. Of course, he's right here in her heart all the time. But I, I was thinking he's talking about here that, Lord, I, the closer I get to you, Lord, even when I suffer, I feel even closer to you because that's what you did for me. And he's saying, Lord, I'm willing to give my all and to be made conformable unto even his death. He realized his spiritual strength comes from trusting and putting his ability and strength in God and not in himself. And so he's asking these people, don't fall into the same uh, problem that I did. Only trust in God. Let him put his spirit within you and let him transform you. And that joy that you have is what you're looking for. And then finally in verse 11 it says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's saying that my whole life, there's, this, is, this is the culmination of my life, is that the day when my take, he knew he was going to suffer, when, my, when I lay down my life, and when I'm raised up again into eternal life, no longer with this body that's got ailments, the most important thing in my life is not what I'm doing right now, but what's going to happen one second into eternity. And so that when I open my eyes again, I will be raised into an, to a perfect body. And I will be in the presence of the Lord and Savior from throughout eternity. The Savior that I love and I'm in love with and I've given all for. He had it right. But so many times if we don't watch our, our strength and our things that's so important to us here captivate our hearts and minds. And we really don't pursue God with all of our heart. And so he's encouraging us. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. I'm just going to read these last three verses and then we'll close tonight. Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. He's saying, the Lord pursued me. The Lord pursued me on that road to Damascus and it wasn't, he, he had a purpose in my life. And so when the Lord handed me that baton, now I'm running with all my might, and that's, I want to finish that course that he has given me, and now I'm passing it on to you. And so he says, I want to accomplish the thing that God put in my heart that when he saved me. And it says in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In his mind, he's thinking about standing before the God of all the universe, God of the entire world, and him say, Thou good and faithful servant, enter into thy reward. He's looking at the finish line. And so when we're going through this life, we've got to get our eyes where the finish line is and realize that that's what's most important and that our relationship is not based on anything else but that whose we are. We are his children. We have been set apart. We have been... Uh, uh, separated so that God can do things in our life. And don't sit there and say, well, that might be you or that might be somebody else. No, God's got his hand on your life. God's got a plan for your life. And so that, that relationship that you have with him, don't let it just be something that happens when you come to church. Let it be something that blooms and blossoms all through the day, all through the week, and as we draw closer to him. Amen? So here's a question. What's your relationship with Christ based on? Hopefully it's in whose you are. And not who you are. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Let's stand. And let's just thank Him for...
His faithfulness and His goodness to us. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord. I worship You, mighty God, Lord, because that You loved us so much that, Lord, You gave Your all for us. And, God, that You want to have a relationship with us. And, God, You want us to draw closer to You. And, God, You want us to depend on You, Lord. We get weary when people depend on us too much. But, God, You say, I want to do everything in Your life if only You will let me. And, God, I thank You, Lord, because You are faithful to that Word. And, God, You are doing things before we even ask. You're pouring out Your goodness upon us. And You're a faithful God to do more than we can even even ask or think. God, I pray that God, each and every one of us tonight, Lord, we would tap into the strength that comes from surrendering all to you. That God, our agendas get laid down. Our plans get laid down. What's important to us gets laid down. And Lord, we surrender all to you. And then God, you make everything else work out, Lord. You don't leave us stranded. You don't leave us miserable. You don't leave us without every. Lord, you bless your children when they make you number one. God, I pray that you would do that and there would be relationships starting to blossom and draw closer to you and that joy would overflow, God, and that, Lord, we would fall in love with you as Paul fell in love with you so that our entire lives, Lord, our whole goal would be on the finish line realizing that that's so important, Lord, that we can't let anything get in our way to keep us from making it. God, bless and move. Use these people, Lord. Use these wonderful people to accomplish and let others see your spirit in presence through their lives. Almighty God, thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and that you, Lord, have done so much for us. You're worthy. You're worthy. Amen. Amen. Let's just one time, let's just worship him as we dismiss. Lord, thank you, Lord, because it's true. You're good. You're good, Lord. You're faithful, God. We thank you, Lord. We put our confidence in you, Lord. You've never failed. You never will. You're great and mighty and awesome. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that you're already pouring out blessings that we need in the future. God, you're already sending answers before we've even prayed. God, for all the good things that you've done, you're worthy. And we thank you for it, Lord, that you love us so much. Oh, thank you, Lord. God, keep your hand upon these people. And God, protect us as we go home. And that, God, we draw closer to you. And bring us back, God, excited on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.